Episode 67 in the bag, Billy. We've got different camera angles this week, which is exciting. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the people. This is lots of fun. This was Siblings Part 2, Legends of the Fall. Amazing. We had over 50 questions answered and you're doing a tremendous job to fire through them. Awesome work. But what are people going to learn or what aren't they going to learn this week? Yeah, yeah, that's probably easier. (laughs) No, so we talk a lot about the practicalities of supporting bonded relationships between siblings, dealing with conflict, jealousy, you know, comparisons, what our own experience as parents reflecting back on this. we got some phenomenal long questions. So amazing um, contribution that people have made. But, yeah, so hopefully really helpful and apologies for the long run time. Not at all, Billy, no apologies. Quick shout-out though at the top here. If anybody knows anyone that's capable of doing some video editing and keen to support the podcast in any way, if they're a freelancer, they've got some time on their hands, they want to help out, we'd be absolutely open to a discussion for how we could do this. Um, Right now it's a lot of work to do the editing of the videos and get it up on the social, so we'd really appreciate that. So slide into our DMs or leave a comment below and we'll reach out to you. Guys, enjoy episode 67. It is thorough. Billy does a tremendous job and we will speak to you in a fortnight. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Daddy, and what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good morning, Dr. Billy Garvey. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm really well. I'm excited. We've got a brand new bit of kit here today is the way we're recording. We're sitting opposite each other, gazing into each other's eyes, and we have these new, what do you call these things? Uh, they are filters. So wind, these are actually windshields, but they're oh. pop filters because we have some plosives that come through now that we have some <laughs> audio tech help. <laughs> I had to look up what plosives are. And there are the, these huge things. And I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, oh my God, mental blank, um, Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yes. I've got like the big oh, mic. <laughs> yes, love that. So, uh, yeah, so no, it's great. We only took us 67 episodes to get set up a little bit better. But it's, um, yeah, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Billy, this is episode 67. Uh, this is part two of Siblings. And we did it with uh, a great film that I had some great likeness to in that, and that was uh, Legends of the Fall. Yes. It's funny how biased we are by looks because there's a lot of feedback about Tristan that came through. And, um, yeah, but people people seem to enjoy it. It's quite funny because people don't see this side off air that one of your big roles is, you know, telling me that the app was okay and was good because I come <laughs> off and I'm like, oh, man, I missed half of what I wanted to say and everything. So I didn't think that was that good an episode but the feedback is that well, it was helpful. I will be honest. When we went through it, I was like, no, it was really good. It was good. Then when I re-listened, I was like, oh, that was actually really helpful. Mm. And I was really uh, – I really liked how you articulated the uh, – you want a bonded relationship between your siblings. I was like, ah, that was well articulated. I was like, yeah, I just want them to get on in my head. But I'm like, well, a better way of saying it is they're bonded. Well, the great thing is um, how part two is often better because yes. of the listener input and there's one question about halfway through the longs where someone articulates that better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do someone does a good job and someone has this quick fire in there yeah. and I, can't, I love that person. I think it's about question four and it's just bang, bang, bang. 
I know, and it's not to draw people to listen to the whole app because there's obviously no ads or revenue coming from it, but um, we're just trying to be helpful. But there's an amazing question that comes as the last one. It's, um, yeah, certainly is. Billy, I think we're both getting used to this new angle. Hey, Billy, first thing we always start with each week is the polls from Instagram, so I'm going to do some quick fire here. Yeah. Billy, we ask the people, the, the fans. <laughs> the fans, yeah. Was sibling, sibling conflict an issue with you as a kid? 64% of people said yes. Yeah. I feel like that you, you, this is a no. Like issue. It depends what you define as an issue. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, from my house, you know, there's just part and parcel. I mean, there's five kids growing up. Um, and so there was always conflict, but not yeah. huge issues. I, I, I think, I, I think really fondly about my, my childhood. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, well, that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? When yeah. I'm rolling around your joint for trampoline time, with, yeah. for me and for Evie, with the girls, yeah, you want those fond memories, don't you? And I wonder what they'll take from it because often there's a, you know, every 10 minutes there's tears on the trampoline. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> okay. Well, just, yeah, a lot of that's what came through a lot is like how do I handle this conflict? Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting but interesting in the context of the second poll question. Which is... Um, do you find it tough to parent siblings? Billy, I find it tough to parent one, let alone two. So <laughs> I'm surprised this was only 70%. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's impressive. But it's impressive that it's higher um, because I think it shows how hard we are on ourselves as parents. Yep. That, you know what I mean? We're, we're really worried about this stuff. And, yeah, spoiler alert, if you only get time to listen to this much of the episode, the um, there is – if you're listening to a parenting podcast, you're probably doing a really good job already. So <laughs> – that's Hopefully why I keep coming back each week because <laughs> I heard you say that about episode four. I was like, oh, if I just keep turning up, I'll get better at this thing by osmosis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Billy, yeah, right on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, that's what we're talking about. So um, what we're trying to do is reduce that number. So hopefully this episode will help get that number down from 70% to much lower as well in terms of what it's like. Yep. And uh, final question was, would you bring your fiancé home if Tristan was your brother? <laughs> yes. <laughs> No. I actually have to be 100% honest. I stole a joke off one of the reviews that I read <laughs> that was like, why would you bring, <laughs> why why, you bring a fiancé? Why bring her out to the prairie? Uh, yeah. You'd just be like, I don't have family. You <laughs> 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 had a brother that looked like Brad Pitt. Oh, so. God. At his absolute height as well. Yeah. Like I know he's getting, you know, good looking and older sort of thing, but <sighs> Tristan, I know. come on. I know. Peak. I think it's peak. I think it's over Bonnie and Peak Pitt? Yeah, peak Pitt. <laughs> Like Bradley Pitts, that's one of our friends would say. But, um, but yeah, so let's go. So we're going to do quick fire through heaps of shorts. The hardest bit about episode two for me is picking the questions. I spent hours and probably still stuffed it up a bit. But quick fire through the shorts and then we're going to go deeper on the longs. Brilliant. All right, Billy, are you ready? ready. I feel like you're on sale of the century. No, but you're not. There's no great prizes in the showroom. <laughs> <laughs> you're just helping people, which is a great prize in itself. Just, let me just, let me just yeah, ask some yeah. questions, Billy. <laughs> Can competitiveness tip over into something that's dangerous long term? And yes, yes, it's not so much dangerous, but yeah, that that is that can be a dysfunctional element of the relationship that siblings have that can kind of lead into adult life. We had a lot of people that came back and said, you know, the episode was interesting because they reflected on the relationship mm. they have with their adult siblings and that competitiveness kind of stayed around. Mm. So we'll get to that in a longer question, but that's why we go for bonded instead of like competitiveness. Yep. Exactly. I think about all those great movies though that had competitive twins. But anyway, that's not the outcome I'm looking for. Billy, how do you ensure one day they'll be friends and not hate each other? 
Yeah, so that's re- really important and we know that, that that outcome unfortunately does occur for a lot of siblings and that gets back to kind of what we know are those key ingredients about that shared experiences so they have kind of an understanding of the perspective of each other and then that kind of celebrating the similarities and mm. the differences between them. So we'll talk, there's a really great question coming up about that but that's the key. Okay, beautiful. What is the best way to react when the older sibling repeatedly hits the baby? Yeah, so outside of the obvious safety thing, like which we talk about anytime we're dealing with kind of aggressive, you know, externalizing behaviors, then the two bits are kind of how do we think about what's going on and be curious for the child that's hitting out? Like, why they, there's always a reason why they're doing that. They don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to hit my brother as many times as I can today. Um, so, what's the experience for them and being curious about that instead of trying to stop yourself from going straight to frustration and understanding that. Yeah, we really need to guide kids towards what we expect them to be doing. So, okay, yeah, there's a big problem with no. I've got a talk coming up that I'll actually promote on my Instagram, but I've got a whole slide on the problem with no. Okay, Billy, why wouldn't you just smack the kid? Because <laughs> I, mean, I, I reckon a few people would be asking. I know you. Yeah. It's no, like no, being it's curious. Just, I hear, yeah. but why wouldn't like you don't go like just trying to. Some, some people's immediate reaction is like, oh, well, you know, like even-handedness, like which isn't even, you know what I mean? Like Totally. Well, that old school like this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you yeah. kind of thing is very outdated. But we know that the problem is there's a lot of parents where that experience is happening for them and, you know, it's really important that they don't feel shamed about that but they also realise that it's, you know, it's not a nice experience as a parent, it's not a nice experience as a kid and it often makes behaviours worse. So what we do instead, and there's a big role modelling aspect of that, isn't there? Like, you yep. know, the kind of my... My dad would have given me a clip if I did that. And the problem is there's no guidance in it. So there's no like what the kid is sitting there going, but what am I meant to do? So there's no lesson from it. There's no lesson. There's no guidance. What you want is like what's a realistic expectation of how you interact with your brother? How do I guide you towards that and give you the level of support you need? And then how do I immediately reinforce any evidence that you're going that way that I see? So Good. Uh, Billy, how do you support the toddler with parental preference transition with the new baby? Yeah, tough, tough. I'm right in this pocket at the moment. Um, so really tough. And we talked about this last time. You got it. So everyone worries about like I don't have time, I don't have time. But it's more about the quality of the interaction. So I have to be really purposeful and I'm such a hypocrite because I spend more time looking and dealing with audio of me talking about parenting than I do actually parenting. But I've got to protect the relationship that Evie and Annalise have because there's a new baby now and we talked about that kind of identity crisis that is vulnerable and occurring. We know that often the second baby, the second child comes along and there's an escalation in behavioural problems, especially in the toddler years, and we'll talk about ideal age gaps a bit later. But what I need to do is make sure that I'm finding opportunities for quality interactions between Yvette and Annalise Mm. that has nothing to do with, oh, she's limited because she's also holding a baby or whatever. So easy to say, hard to do. But it's not about hours and hours of time. It's about the quality of that interaction and it just being them completely connecting. Okay. Billy, how to parent two children with different temperaments while also remaining fair? Yeah, there's a great question coming up about fair and what is fair. So what we want to make sure is that we're actually meeting the needs of that individual child. The challenge as a parent is that sometimes we're like, well, this is what I'd want, so that's what I'm going to do for this child. Now, the beautiful thing about kids is they guide us, so they show us. So if you've got one child who's like cruising and you've got to make sure they're properly cruising because a lot of kids will look like they're cruising but it's just because they don't throw stuff around the room or act out. Gotcha. 
you know, you make sure but you go actually I think little Billy actually needs a little bit more one-on-one time because I've noticed that he's struggling a bit but little Nick is okay at the moment. I'm still going to make sure there's a baseline foundation of, you know, time that I spend with little Nick but at the moment little Billy's needs are a bit different and maybe needs a bit more. So people worry about I need to split time equally. That's it's not really true. You've just got to make sure that the child that needs less in the moment is still getting what they need. Yeah. And that you do have protected time that's just about them. Yeah, I actually – my kids do have different temperaments and mm. I do respond a little bit differently. So I'm really – You totally careful. do. I get to watch that. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm really careful with my sensitive one. If I'm honest with the other one, I'm a bit more terse but she seems to respond well. Not respond in that I get the outcome I want but like – like I'll be like, hey – and, yeah, and but she'll she be responds like, oh, really well to it, doesn't she? Does, she? Whereas yeah. I know well, the, you wouldn't do that, that to Freddie because do it. She'd yeah, walk but out you do and... something different that's more tailored yeah. to her and that's the trick is that you, it, the, as I've said so many times, it's just all about reflective practice. It's not about one way to parent. That's the problem is everyone's like there's one way to parent. It's just about think about how you're parenting, what's important to you and then guide to that. I was just thinking about how I actually sound. I think I sound like a farmer talking to a sheepdog like, hey, hey, what's you doing there? Oh, get up. Yeah, but Ronnie feels like Ronnie's gorgeous. She's so great with that though. And this has been this beautiful thing that I've seen. So I've like known her since she was born and spent a lot of time with her. And I'm seeing this beautiful part of her come out in the way that she is with Avesh. Because Ronnie's like, you know, she's she has this opportunity to be the older one with Evie. She's feeding her, she's caring for her, she's sharing with her. It's amazing because you've guided her towards that. Yeah, but she is. She's a. She is a bit more of the. You know, the sheepdog. Like, yeah. you know, she's so, got a lot of energy. She what? doesn't need much guidance. Yeah, she's like the terrier. One of the terriers out of like uh, Bluey, like <laughs> the one that plays cricket. That sort of yeah. kid, Rusty. She's yeah, like Rusty. yeah, Rusty. More like Rusty. Yeah. Billy, I had to Google this one. Triangular comms issue of sibling to parent to sibling strains my family, and I want to avoid it. Yeah, I had to look at. This was about a manager. This was about uh, anyway. That's yeah, no, no, give it to me. What do no, you think after reading about it? Yeah, I, I understood. I understood it was like you know three way comms sort of thing, but it was like, but everyone has a role in this triangular comms mm. thing, which I'd never heard of. Yeah, spoiler: I work in communications, <laughs> but I don't work in like communications at that level. I work in different sort of comms, but yeah, um, yeah triangular comms, which I was. Yeah, so what do you think about that in the way that you parent Freddie and Ronnie because you will have that set up happening? Sibling strains, family and wonderful. Um, like how do you manage being the kind of mediator between the two of them and just the energy that requires? Oh, it's, it's zapping. Yeah. It zaps me. It zap every other parent listening as well I'd suspect. But um, so what are your oh, strategies? If it's early in the day, I try to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, I hand pass to mum because I'm not at my best, if I'm honest. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, I'm out of the blocks, 6 a.m., I'm good. Yeah. After 6.30, Billy, it's a different, different story. Yeah, so. 6.30 p.m. 6.30 p.m. <laughs> no, I put, in my, I put in my half an hour and that's about it. <laughs> but, yeah, totally. So that's a really good lesson that. in that. So where's my capacity? Yep. Where's my capacity to come in and support them or where isn't it? And yep. it's fine to actually tap out because yep. what you do in that golden 30 minutes. <laughs> 12 and a half hours. It's more, it's more powerful and it's about how do I, what does success look like in the way that my kids communicate with each other and what, how much support do they need for that. But there'll be lots of times it fails. The problem is we often go in when it's completely melted down okay. and it's so much more work but okay. understandable. Okay. Billy, 
How does a narcissistic parent contribute to sibling relationship breakdown? Yeah, great question. This one stayed in just because, yeah, it's – so there's there's like volumes of research that have been written about this. Um, the problem with um, – and it's we all have this vulnerability, but especially when you have that set up is that there is a restriction of growth towards independence as the child gets older. So there's a dependency and there's a kind of crowding of the personality of the parent over that child. And gotcha. like I think we're all a little bit vulnerable of that in that, you know, hang on, I've still got feelings, I've still got an identity and all that stuff. But I think what all of us are trying to do is go, yeah, but this kid is like now my responsibility and I need to help guide them and prioritise them over myself. But there is that risk and the risk is that there are intentional or unintentional mechanisms that are put around a child in that setup where they it, – it, like stunt their development and their growth towards independence and there's vulnerability in their self-esteem and all of those things. So I suspect that maybe come from someone who is worried they're in that realm. I think if you're listening to a parenting podcast, you can probably take a lot of that weight off your shoulders that you're not caring about your child over yourself. Um, but, yeah, just thinking about like how do I ensure that I, I am prioritising the development and mental health of this child. Cool. <clears throat> Billy, how do we help the older one respect younger kids' space and body, you know, gentle hands. Yeah, gentle hands. Gentle hands. <laughs> gentle hands. Gentle hands. Yeah. Yeah, and Evie's move with this stuff is she does really firm hugs sometimes. <laughs> you can kind of see on her face. Whiplash. She's like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think with her there is a little bit of like a where's the boundary here when she's doing that. So, yeah, as we've said before, you've got just got to be really specific and you've got to give them a role in that. So gentle hands is a great example of it. You go, cool, this is what gentle hands is. I'm going to show you what gentle hands is. I'm going to help you do gentle hands and then I'm going to immediately reinforce it with specific targeted praise and that's going to become the narrative about the way you interact with your younger sibling. The problem is that happens is that sometimes unintentionally the narrative is I need to be really cautious because you're likely to hit them. I'm saying no and the kid just sees himself in that role a bit too much. Ah, got you. I like this reinforcing immediately and like showing that, sorry, showing then reinforcing immediately the first positive sign. Yeah, it's, it's a really important part going back to Karate Kid is that, you know, the kind of end of the day you guys are so amazing is just vague and it misses the opportunity in the moment. So it's still good about connection but it's not really good at changing behaviours. Yep. <clears throat> Billy, how to support an older child when placating the young one so the older isn't overstimulated? Yeah, so this came from, there was more information about this, but I think that's, um, that helps us. It was really about like I'm having to settle a younger child, but that process of the child crying and soothing them and all that stuff is overstimulating for the other child. And it's amazing because what we're hearing there is a parent who's trying to meet the needs of multiple kids at the same time that are quite different. Challenging, like you would experience this. I experienced this as well where I'm like stuck between I've, you know, in, in a month of having two kids, I've had one couple of hours window where I tried to give Annalise a tap out and I can't believe the house didn't burn down and, you know, like it was, it's really challenging and so it's also giving myself a break and saying sometimes I'm not going to be able to meet the needs of both of these kids immediately. But we'll talk a bit more about that because it's a good long coming. Okay, cool. Billy, <laughs> I love this open up. <laughs> Three-year-old twins here. How to time share between them without the other feeling alone? When someone comes and starts with three-year-old twins, I'm like, the, the floor is yours. 
Totally. I think I had to cull about a dozen questions about oh. twins, so I'm really sorry about that. I feel like we should go back. We've just already Twi- used the perfect episode. movie. But, um, but, yeah, it's really hard, isn't it, because it, it's that speaks to you've got two kids who are at the same developmental level but will have completely different needs and in the moment will often be quite uniquely paired. Um, they have a real um, possibility and potential of having really strong bonding, but the challenge with that is is that they will set themselves off a lot. Um, so yeah, it's really hard, but we'll cover that. But I just had to leave that one in because there's so many twin stuff that came through. <laughs> and siblings. I had this one, Billy, growing up. This next one: How do you help your older siblings with their confidence after the younger is more sporty naturally? Eight-year-old and three-year-old boys. The context. I thought you were the youngest. <laughs> I, I was not. I was. I was the least athletic in my family. <laughs> my no. siblings listening to this will be like, nah, nah. No, it's a, it's a great question because the key is if you notice that vulnerability in the older child, what is the role that they have at being successful and mm. being the guide in the family at something? So find it because what they'll be looking at is going, what's my identity? This kid that's half my age is gotcha. better at kicking a footy than me. So make sure that you don't you know you don't focus completely on that. You find the thing in the eight year old that they're really good at and they show the family how to get better at it. So we, we all kind of need that um, we're leading in the growth of that aspect of what we care about. Yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, needed that. Hey, how do you find the energy to parent each of the siblings with equal energy? Yeah, so you don't. You don't, do yeah. you? Yeah. That's, that's the answer. Yeah, Because some may not, some require more energy than others and that's just... Yeah. Yeah, you don't. You're setting yourself up to fail if you're asking that of yourself. So, yeah, take the weight off your shoulders and go, that's not what it's about. It's not about, you know, doing this um, with that level of intensity all the time. And there's, yeah, it's it's quality, not quantity. Beautiful answer. <clears throat> any, <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> any tips for early sibling days? We welcome baby number two in October and our toddler is 23 months. <laughs> Sounds like someone I know, Billy. Yeah, Any yeah. tips for those early days? This is exactly your scenario, I think, almost to the to the yeah, week. Yeah, so rapid fire because it comes from a really great question later, but essentially yep. like you can set it up as much as possible but then watch how things are going. So build a positive narrative and all that kind of stuff. But also what this mum will show us later in a question, make sure you think about yourself. Don't just be like this is the only dynamic I have to worry about. You've mm. got to also think how am I going to feel about the fact that this new bub's coming in and it's going to challenge my time and opportunity with the older child. Yep. Okay. Hey, get, hey Billy, is there an ideal age gap? Yeah, so there is. There's a funny story about this. That, there is? You know, yeah, so I remember years ago one of my favourite colleagues talking about, you know, just this family that was really struggling and they were like, you know, this is the, the evidence shows that the ideal age gap is 18 <laughs> to 24 months. And I remember sitting there going like, oh, how many of us have the ability to control that completely? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what, what part of life do researchers think where you go, I'm going to have the next child exactly then? Like, yeah, you have um, in not your direct family but um, what do you call them? Certain, certain twins, oh Irish twins, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, doesn't. Yep. You can't say to them, "Hey guys, you're stuffed up." Like, no, you're no. Meant, you're meant to be a bigger age gap, and then, oh. yeah. So it doesn't mean that if you're not in that 18 to 24 month pocket that you're doomed, that it's going to be too hard. It also doesn't mean that if you are in that pocket, it's all going to be fine. It's just general population-led research shows us that. Billy, sometimes there's late angels in a family. I like this guy right here. (laughs) So mum had five kids, four kids in five years and then me five years after the last. And look at me. Yeah, I know. She was like, 
Oh, I can stop now. Look at him. Let's change the evidence Angelic. and say that is five years for the perfect child. The evidence is got to have four and then have a fifth. Oh god. Hey, um, uh, Billy, uh, little boys, very physical, seven and four. How do you let them play rough, which they love, without hurting each other? Yeah, so you you set up like a way that that happens so you don't just like let them figure it out. They're too young. So if both of them like consent that they want to play like that verbally, non-verbally, this is what it looks like, this is where it happens, but this is also how either of you say that you've had enough and I will help both of them understand those communication signals and kind of what the rules are and where it happens. And I have this with Evie. Like I, Evie and I like look at each other and we're like, do you want to go jump on the bed? And we like go and jump on the bed and wrestle. But she also has to say yes at the start and there are times where she's like no. She also decides often when it stops because she's exhausted or whatever and she just goes, that's it, and I go, sweet, awesome. But that's kind of we go to that space for that type of play instead of like it just happens wherever. Gotcha. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's very you, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, I'm really deliberate with that stuff. Like I, yeah, I realise there's other stuff that I haven't shared that might be helpful about how deliberate I am, but we'll see if it comes up. No, you were good. You you had the meal tips, I think, two episodes ago that are fantastic about how deliberate you were with how you approached it. It was our first episode back. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Remember. I'll see if I can find a way to put it in this other deliberate thing I do later in the app. But yeah. yeah, awesome. Hey, Billy, help on twin specifics. How do you help twin A when twin B has ADHD and takes much more of me? And how do you ensure our eldest, five, and with ADHD, still feels loved when baby, one-year-old, still requires so much? So they literally came within seconds of each other, those two questions Mm. from two different sources, and it Mm. shows the vulnerability and neurodiversity that how do I meet the needs of this child with neurodiversity The challenge with neurodiversity is that we don't understand and we have trouble connecting with what those needs are. You and I have talked about it. The supermarket's fine. How come this child struggles with it? And it's because their experience is very different to ours. The way they interpret the world is different. It's beautiful a lot of the time. It's just that there's a vulnerability that we go, hang on a second, you shouldn't be struggling with this because I'm not struggling with it. And so... Yeah, how do you build skills? And we've got to remember a lot of the time it's not built in and I'm trying to get both of you into the car seat at the same time. It's built in like and it's you you make it okay when you can't completely meet the needs of both children in that time by meeting their individual needs outside of that. But there's a vulnerability in that that kind of it's really challenging. But also just think it's not in a single moment that you're going to solve that. Okay. (laughs) Billy, need help with sharing and taking turns. The one-year-old has started snatching from the three-year-old. Yeah, so really common and go back to that kind of format of try and resist the urge to kind of act out and lash out and kind of be punitive about that happening. What's the experience that's going on for the kid that's taking it? How do I kind of understand that? Are they annoyed because they're jealous or they're feeling like their needs aren't being met or they just want my attention and stuff? So how can I understand that and think about what's a more helpful way to meet that need Mm. than me coming in after the event? And then secondly, how do I – so the, the key is like specifically pick the thing that you want to work on with that child and a sibling is a beautiful opportunity because you can completely scaffold and make it safe. Evie, for example, needs no help with sharing. She's just phenomenal at sharing. Okay. She needs help with kind of advocating for herself. Like she'll just let every kid step in front of her. She'll give up toys straight away and all that stuff. So I don't mm. need to give specific opportunities for Evie to learn how to share I need to give her specific opportunities for her to learn how to just self-advocate a bit. Yeah. You know, and she can do we can do that with Charlie without being detrimental to Charlie. 
Yeah. For what it's worth, I saw that with my oldest and then it kind of evolved over time. We did <clears throat> try and work on that but also it's a constant work in progress. Yeah, I remember when Freddie was like that, especially yeah. older kids, especially older boys. She yeah. was like just want them to, yep. you know, do whatever they want. Yep. Oh, God, my mum must have messaged in on this next one. Oh, this is embarrassing. How do I raise a Tristan? <laughs> Yeah, but it's that funny thing. The funny, the reason I kept this in is because we fall for that. We're like, yeah. but if you actually look at Tristan, he has no bonded relationships with anyone. Yep. Does he? He's like this wild, you know, untamed. But he has a roller coaster of mental health through the movie. Whereas, you know, the oldest sibling is actually the stable one that has, you know, bonded mm. relationships, consistency. We get a sense he has good mental health. Like, yeah, so, yeah, we just got to remember what we're aiming for with raising our kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you ran off what Tristan actually had, <laughs> I was just focused on the, the ruggish good looks. Well, totally. It's the same as Richard Gere and Pretty Woman. Everyone's like, how cool is this guy? But then you look deeper at it and you're like, ah, oh, he's pretty, he's not that cool actually. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as cool as we thought. Yeah. Um, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, how do I help my husband re- remain neutral during sibling conflict? Yeah. Yep, so gently. <laughs> yeah, and it's dad seemed to have a greater vulnerability of this of like picking sides and being like, you know, this is the one I want to stick up for. Feeling very sane right now. Well, the, pro- the, the problem is with that you can kind of reinforce unintentionally that sense of unfairness in the kid that you're sticking up for because they look around and go, oh, dad also agrees that this isn't fair, you know, and that I'm the one who's in the right. So hard in the moment. Totally, totally. But you just try what we've talked about in co-regulation, self-regulate first, take a breath, think about how do I remain neutral and help these kids find a solution together. The older they get, the more autonomy and leadership they should have in finding that solution together. Okay. How do we foster a seven-year age gap team? Baby due in Feb, big change in our family. More generally, how do we navigate the age gap? Yeah, so you... Realise that there is a vulnerability in that and how do you, whether it's like with you or there's multiple older siblings or there's just a single one, how do you make sure that there is in interactions, and this is talking about the bonding stuff, opportunities to interact and share perspectives and enjoy each other's strengths that is developmentally appropriate like it's not it'll take some time yeah it's not asking the kid to lift up and be an adult and it's not asking the older kid to come down and be a toddler but what is the way that you can reinforce an equal opportunity not a parenting role it's really important the older kid doesn't go into a parenting Can role. you just give some examples of what that might actually look like further down the path? Like you, yeah. you're not, I know you're not setting a start date and an end date and what, but just what, what does it look like? Is it like kids, let's uh, so do you know the, the say most, two boys, like, like they so both might like footy, so you take them to footy. Like what does it actually look like? What? Yeah, I mean this gets to some of the challenges that we have with screens is that what mm. you want is there to be a deep interaction that's occurring where there's enjoyment coming from both of them genuinely and there's mm. a long question that focuses on this and that they're getting to kind of see the similar interests that they share. It can't be one of them really enjoys one particular thing, so I want the other kid to play in that. Mm. I want the other kid to kind of pretend that they care about it or something Mm. like that. Find the things they enjoy doing together that are really interactive. Mm. One of the most powerful examples of that is imaginative play with a sibling. Imaginative play with a sibling is one of the most bonding, connected opportunities they can have we're not scaffolding it, you know, we're not leading it, we're not saying this is how you're going to interact. They're doing it together and their imagination flourishing like that really gives them an opportunity to see the perspective of the other. They problem solve together. How do we beat the dragon? 
they kind of, you know, they're, they're utilising what is the experience of this sibling next to me and how am I enriching it? How is it enriching my experience? How am I picking up all the cues? Like it's one of the most beautiful things we can do and that goes back to can't even remember what I was a predator, wasn't it? You know, the role of um, imaginative play and pretend play is huge. So, so important. Yeah, and you will see this with the girls. Like they're at that age now where as you leave them together. Do you know one of the things that really challenges siblings, mm. and you will know this because we've experienced this, one of the most challenging things to bonded relationships, especially when you get into primary school, mm. is the friend that comes over. Uh, yeah. Because it challenges that relationship between the siblings. Now, Ronnie flies with it. She just rolls with it. Now. But, totally. But you can see the vulnerability and there'll be oh, people yeah. listening. I don't know if you remember this, but you'd be playing and then especially the older sibling has a mate come over and you suddenly just get <sighs> severed from the play, severed from everything. So it's not about we'll never let them have friends over, but how do you kind of incorporate the younger sibling into that without forcing them on? So genuine mm. shared enjoyment. Oh. But also a lot of the work happens outside of that. So how do you make sure there's protected time for the siblings to bond where there isn't a mate over who's challenging it? Yep. Good. I'm glad I asked a bit more about that one, Billy. Billy, how do I raise my only child to not have that only child vibe? (laughs) (laughs) Such a good question. Such a good question. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that, you know, silly trope of like that's an only, you can tell that person's an only child. But it just goes to the same thing. You don't have to have a sibling. You just have to have. So what it is, is is it's intimacy. You know, it's not intimacy like you think romantically or whatever, but what mm. we have real relationships with our siblings, are they really intimate? And they'll be the longest relationships we ever have, longer than you and I will have with our kids, yeah. longer than we'll yep. have with our parents, longer than we'll have with mates. You know, there's no mate you meet at birth and then, you know, for the rest of your life. So that intimacy is an opportunity, but if you have a single child, make sure they have opportunities to develop intimate connections with similar age peers. So, you know, not big developmental gaps. So not the, you know, you've got this teenager that hangs out with you and you're seven, but how do you have consistent relationships that are really well supported and really safe? That's the thing about sibling relationships. They really fly when they're safe relationships because they have good scaffolding around them. Oh, I like that. Hey, Billy, when to intervene in conflict and the best way to help teaching them to manage it themselves? Yes. The problem is not after it's blown up. So that's what a lot of people come in. Everyone's like, what do I do in the moment? The problem is it's all in the climb. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's it's all in the climb. It's also not in the kind of resolution either. It's not in the cool down that you do a lot of that skill development either. A lot of people are like, you know, because the kid can look around and go, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't do it. But they really struggle. Once they're elevated, they can't access that reflection component that goes, I remember yesterday when I hit him, I felt really bad about it afterwards. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? They're just like this kid took, you know, he took my toy, he pushed in front of me, bang. So what you want to do is how can I pick up those early cues, come in, guide them towards this is a better resolution of that anger, frustration, jealousy that you're feeling or whatever. Okay. Billy, is equity more important than equality when it comes to time, resources and opportunities? Amazing, amazing. So, yeah, so the I don't want to put you on the spot and say what's the difference between equity and equality but um, so I think that's a bit unfair. <laughs> so, yes, equality is everyone gets the same thing. Yep. So every kid in the house gets, you know, that golden 30 minutes of time and then that's all you get, you know, I'm going to be equal. Equity is I give you what, how much support you, you need, need. Yep. and it's really important you do that. The problem is it's more important to be equitable than equal. Agreed. You can't 
you can't go to the to the, you can't do it to the detriment of one of the kids though. So you can't be like Ronnie coasts. I'll just not give her really any of my attention because she's fine. I'll be equitable to Freddie because she needs more support at the moment or today or something. Yeah, but we're talking about when support's required. Yeah, right. Not like good times. Let's go hang out. No, totally. Yes. So that that's the challenge is that how in that moment do you make sure that you're not dismissing the needs of the one that needs less support? So yep. you're still acknowledging them and all that kind of stuff and still validating their experience and saying you're here and all those things, but you can't you can't be like, well, you're each going to get, you know, this many minutes in this event that's happened as, as how I resolve it. Okay. <clears throat> For boys two and four, how do you deal with physical fights in day-to-day life? Any good limits? Yeah, so I think that goes back to kind of what's what's underneath it. Be curious about it. Those those kids are really young, so they'll just need heaps of help to scaffold that. But do it when you know, do it like you do in the morning when you're feeling the best. Like, how do I <laughs> how do I kind of show them how good they can be with each other? Tell them what specifically that looks like, and then see how that works. And within two to three weeks, you should see an improvement in these strategies. And if you're not, the most common reason is the developmental expectations too high. Okay. Cool. Hey, Billy, does birth order affect personality traits in kids? Is the eldest more responsible? Not necessarily. The oldest can actually become the the greater one at risk-taking because they haven't had the kind of focus on them. So it doesn't mean that. It it is more likely they'll end up in a responsible role, but they might actually buck against that or they might feel that their needs aren't being met and risk-take without the level of support that we talked about in the kind of the risk-taking stuff. So not necessarily, but, yeah, the evidence kind of does show, I think we talked about this in the twins app, is um, that an older girl is really protective, but it doesn't mean that if you've got an older girl, it's sweet, or if you've got an older boy, stuffed. Okay. Hey, Billy, are same-gendered siblings destined to bond better? So, yes, once again, I think we did this in twins, but... um, Yes, two girls are more likely to have a closer connection. There's kind of a societal element of that. Um, a girl and a boy are often bonded closer and boy and boy are the least likely. That doesn't mean anything on an individual level though. It just means that population study, big groups of people when we look, having a, a girl in a sibling relationship is protective. Okay. Do you, def- Billy, do you find there are any delays in development for younger siblings? Yeah, so there is a vulnerability in that, but it's not one often that you need to really worry about. And a classic example of that is often the second child's language will be a bit delayed, so their expressive language use. It's often because they've got this phenomenal interpreter that can understand their cues and they don't need to kind of verbalise what they their needs are as much because they've got like this kid that's two years older than them that says he wants a drink or and, she needs to go to the toilet. And potentially less um, less parent time. The first kid gets all the parent time Yeah, in the world. definitely get all the yeah. scaffolding and all yeah. that stuff. But it doesn't, you know, it's most of the time it's not something you worry about. You just understand that they have a different environment than the child that grows up without and the youngest and older sibling. Um, I was going to make another joke here. It's not funny. My elder struggles whenever we compliment her sister and it is a competition with her peers too. I was mm. going to say my siblings struggle with all the compliments <laughs> I got as a kid. <laughs> but, yeah, so what that's showing is that there's a vulnerability in that specific child that their self-esteem and their identity is being challenged. So they've just got a bit of fragility in it. So what I would say to that is not in those interactions. Don't mm. change how you are in complimenting the other sibling. 
find opportunities to build the self-esteem and make it secure. And we talked about that in Pretty Woman, not high but secure. The self-esteem needs to be secure but not in those moments. Don't secure. think the answer's there. The answer is not in I need to compliment your sibling less. I need to say that you're really great at something too. Find it in other moments and interactions where they get, you know, purposeful, accurate praise. Last one of the shorts. <laughs> Any advice to help ensure positive first introductions? Yeah, don't put so much pressure on it. So we, yeah. I remember we, we brought Evie home and to introduce her to the Border Collie. We like had so much pressure and we filmed it and all this stuff. We were like, you know, Melfi, this is. And Melfi didn't like look at Annalise for about a week because <laughs> she was so like just furious that this other thing had come into the family. Um, Charlie, we didn't care about it, you know, and both Evie and Melfi have welcomed him with uh, flying colours. So there's a pressure element, you know what yeah. I mean? Mine was terrible when I introduced the kids to each other. I felt like I was caught in a lie, like mm. I'd been caught out and uh, I was holding <laughs> Ronnie and one of the grandmothers turned up with Freddie unexpected and I was like, oh, Freddie, <laughs> I didn't expect to see you. Um, uh, this is Veronica. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Freddie was like, well, what? But you really, but it is, you just understand like we talked about with Anna Freud, there is this challenge and a yeah. potential identity crisis that happens but then guide them and we'll talk about a long question on that too. Brilliant. All right, Billy, we're getting into the longs, people. Here we go. It's, we're still both getting used to this new setup, but here we go. I'm loving it. It is good. I'm spending a lot of time. <laughs> it's good. It's fine. Mate, it's I fine. wish I had more time looking at you, so I'm, I'm happy about it. It's this. really looking yeah, at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Billy, hi. I listen to your podcast from the UK and absolutely bloody love it. I have recommended it many times to friends in the UK. My question is, do you have any tips on how to manage jealousy between children? I have a boy and a girl, age six and four respectively, and they get on well on the whole. I try to treat them equally where possible, but they are different in nature and have different strengths. I find when I praise one of them for a particular behaviour or achievement, the other one instantly feels aggrieved. This applies to any type of praise I give them, praise for telling the truth, for getting dressed, for compromising or sharing between themselves, and of course, for sporting or learning achievements. How can this be managed? Many thanks. Yep, so I'll try and be tight on these two. First step is validate that experience. Don't dismiss the experience that child's having. Nice. So validate the experience that they are feeling and the emotions they're having and think about what's a behaviour that can be helpful for that. Then what you need to think about is where can I have opportunities for you in this family unit to feel like you are also succeeding at something specific. The challenge with this is that what we know in observational studies Mm -hmm. is that siblings will watch the way that their primary caregivers interact with their other siblings and they are really analysing that. So there's this pressure on us of Mm -hmm. like uh, I'm, you know, doing something with Freddie. Mm -hmm. Ronnie is here too. Ronnie is really picking up how I am about this. So you've just got to realise that that is a quite in tune child that's feeling that but you validate it, you know, express it, help them put language around it and then think about how can I also give you opportunities to feel like you're being specifically praised as well. You're valued in this family. You've got a really important role because of these specific things that you contribute. It can't just be we love you too. It's you're so important to us because of these elements. You are the person that's, you know, really caring. You're the person that helps when one of us is upset, all of that stuff. So, yeah. Quite purposeful. Yeah, really purposeful. Nice. Question number two, Billy. G'day, Billy and Nick. Shorter question from an episode on siblings. First, 
I'd like to thank you once again for another great ep. I loved what you said about scaffolding opportunities for siblings to bond and seeing bits of each, bits of the other in each other. I thought that was really beautiful. I took, I look at our siblings as people who, who don't just have shared experiences or the same parents, but shared parts of themselves. Mm. Nice reflection. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that was. <laughs> that's the one you took. I put it. Yeah. Um, my question is around modelling good behaviour in adulthood. I know you've both spoken about modelling behaviour as being part of fostering healthy and adjusted kids, but how important is modelling strong relationships with our siblings through adulthood, even if we're not close? Is it enough for them to see strong, positive relationships with close friends in place of these? Yeah, it is enough. So, yes, there will be a lot of people that don't have, you know, adult siblings to role model sibling relationships with and there will be people that are disconnected from their adult siblings. So it is enough. And what we've got to remember is that kids watch the way that we are with other people. So how we are with our peers is how they will be with their peers. And what we get to watch with siblings is what that outcome is. I'm role modelling this and this is the hard thing. There's people that are in the mental health space that I... No, we'll talk about how important it is to be caring of everyone and then they're not really. They're, you know, really dismissive of other people's feelings and stuff like that. And people, those kids are watching that person and what they do, not what they say. You can be the expert like me on all this stuff but if you're not on the ground role modelling what it actually looks like gotcha. and how you talk about people when they're not around and all that stuff. Like it's a real challenge because we don't realise that that's what's happening. So if you're really nice to someone and you see them on the street with a kid and then afterwards you're like that guy's a jerk, your kid is, is experiencing that and you're role modelling that. So it's a really important bit of it. Like how do I show them the entire time that the way that I interact with other people mm. is a way that's genuine and has my value set in it. And remember we're not trying to give kids our value set in how we treat other people and how we treat siblings. We're just trying to role model what is the kind of morals and values behind the way we do it. Okay. Nice. Hi, Billy Nick. Legends of the Fall. Exhausting from start to finish. Thank God one can turn down the sound when it all gets a bit too much and just pervert peak Brad. <laughs> Brilliant flick. I love these questions. It's a quick fire, Billy. Yeah. Well, they're not, not intended to make you go quick. No, no, but we, should, we will lose a time, but I just had to. This is such an amazing it's, question. It's amazing, isn't it? Gents, is there hope for multi-sibling harmony in future generations when generational multi-sibling dysfunction has been the predominant representation modelled by the clan? So very quickly, yes, there is definitely hope and it's even just being able to reflect back on that and see that vulnerability in it is really powerful to say how do I learn from those experiences I had as a child and make sure that I, you know, from even what we're talking about with equity, jealousy, all that stuff. Love it. Gents, how does one pacify one's OBOC, husband, only boy, only child, term trademarked by a, a treasured 75-year-old elder who's been having decades of therapy to deal with hers. When our three children are dysregulated simultaneously, domestic life looks like a scene from Little Miss Sunshine. In the moment, he acts like he's landed on Struggle Street and he's been forced to watch the end of humanity as we know it. Shoot me now. <laughs> Thoughts? That could be either of our partners. Let's <laughs> send that in. So we have no experience of that. <laughs> we have no experience of that, but I'm sure our partners have a little bit. And, you know, it's like what we talked about, being gentle, like maybe not in the moment saying, 
like get over it. I'm, you need to help me deal with this and not just kind of suffer. Um, but, you know, afterwards just think, you know, you're a really valuable contributor to this, but it is quite funny. I thought that was great. And it, it's a, there's a, the amazing thing about the questions is that it guides us in even just to have the way the questions are asked and not so much the answer I give. Gents, how best to respond to children throwing around the trope, so-and-so is your favourite, so-and-so never gets into trouble for the same thing, but I do. This family hates me. Nobody loves me. Any tips to help stop parental responses, which include eye rolling coupled with a long, slow, dramatic exhale? Asking for a friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, this has been one of my favourite questions for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, totally understandable, the long, the eye roll and the exhale. And it's actually fine that the kids see you doing that because you're role modelling your experience and then you go, yeah, I, this frustrates me when this is happening, but... I'm unconditionally here to support you through it, you know, and once again what we talk about, validate the experience even as ridiculous as they can seem when you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I'm, I adore you, you know, you're valued by me and all that stuff. Validate those experiences but then work through them with what might be going on. Amazing set of questions. Well done, listener. Hi, Billy Nick. Firstly, just wanted to say I'm a fan. I'm a late starter but I'm catching up whenever I can, i.e. 5.45am on the drive to the gym. I think you both bring so much to the podcast and I thank you and your partners and kids for all the time and effort. Siblings is such a big topic for me. My husband and I have two gorgeous boys, nearly three and a half and an 18 month old. They are great brothers. Our eldest is very caring and thoughtful and our youngest can't get enough of his brother. I often think that I've prepared our eldest well for getting a sibling but forgot to prepare myself. I missed my eldest so much at the start and I still feel very uneasy about how to split myself between their needs. I would really like some tips for when I'm solo parenting to know how to scaffold and be equitable for my sons to minimise my effect on their natural bond. I find it so difficult when my expectations for each child need to be different because of their development and sometimes it just feels too unfair and I don't want to cause the difference between them. My husband and I are both the eldest of our own siblings and feel the pressure to be responsible and sensible and have younger siblings that are still given a lot more support even now. How do we stop this parenting to our boys while catering to their current age gap? Thanks. Yeah, amazing question. I just thought that was so beautiful and that's where I got the answer that I gave earlier about making sure you prepare yourself for that, you know, new baby coming in the relationship with the existing child. Um, the other thing is that, yeah, so really powerful about like the challenge of this, especially if you had that as a parent and making sure that you don't assume that the oldest kid it will be fine in that parenting role and need less support. So push back against that mm. temptation and I'm going to have to push back against that as well. The other thing is like, and this is where I can jam in this example, so I've stolen something off my mum that I do that I have hardly any time. Like I'm gone 12 hours a day, I come in, help out a little bit and I'm usually working on all this stuff after hours but I make sure there's really high intense quality interactions with Evie. One thing that I've stolen which might be helpful from some other people, my mum used to do this thing with me that I do with Evie now where she sits on my lap and I tell what I call a face story. We just say face story. And it's always different but, for example, it'll be like a little ant which is my finger wakes up in her ear like behind her ear and then goes and has a journey on her face and it is a beautiful co-regulation. It has nothing to do with that she's struggling but and then she does it with me and tells a story and we're just completely with each other. It takes about three minutes 
but it's really beautiful and it has had such an impact on like the fracturing that's occurred a little bit between me and her because I'm just not with her much. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, I think the challenge is that we're like, I need to spend so much time. But if you have a new child coming, you don't have a lot of time, but just trying to find those predictable traditions that you kind of lean in on that are really intense and they're just about you and I interacting and enjoying each other. So I don't know if that's helpful, but yeah, we do that. And I, yeah, I found myself doing it. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. My mom used to do this with me. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. But it, awesome. there's all different versions of that. But the, the point is the intensity of it not um, and the purpose of it, not exactly how you do it. Yep. Okay. Cool. Hi there. <clears throat> Thanks so much for the podcast. It's the only parenting advice podcast I found that doesn't make me feel too bad. <laughs> I'm not sure you'll use this as it's more about the parent than the parenting, but I find since having more kids I struggle with a lot of guilt towards my first child. My eldest is four and I have one-year-old twins, all boys. People often wince at this. It was super full on in the early days with twins, even with lots of family support. I think then the guilt was more normal or expected and probably also hormonal. But I still find myself feeling really bad in moments like where my eldest wants to do a puzzle with me, but I need to be with the babies and they can't get near the puzzle as they are in the destructive phase. Often then feeling... Often that feeling then manifests an anger towards the kind of generalised idea that siblings are great to have feels more like a conspiracy to get you to have more kids. I should point out that my partner and I definitely made the decision to have more kids, not twins, but what can you do? And I think part of this comes from having been pretty happy only child. Of course, we do have lovely times when all the kids laugh together and I know as they get older more interaction will be possible, but at the moment I do feel like the babies are a net negative for my, to my eldest despite the fact he's still really good, tolerant of them and kind of mad that society has convinced me otherwise. Is there research to suggest siblings are good for you? What can I do now to feel less guilty about being less present with my eldest? Should I go to therapy? No time. See above set up. Yeah, so in reverse order, all of us should be going to therapy. I've seen um, a number of therapists and I usually make the mistake of going in crisis and being like, can we fix this today? The top of the volcano, Billy. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be on the, the way up. I'm it's at the top of the volcano up, wanting to solve all my world life's problems. Mm. So, yeah, but it, this is the challenge. Like I'm in the same thing. Like how do I find the time? So I really feel for that person. But this talks a little bit about like role modelling self-care to our kids as well. And, you know, if that's the only way you can find the motivation to do it because it feels really selfish going and seeking, self, you know, therapy, then it's really important but what a beautifully reflective thing about the societal pressures that we have around us that like you should have more kids, siblings are really important and the evidence is that they are not, um, you know, guaranteed to be a positive impact on a family. Yep. Annalise and I were talking about this the other day. We both work so much and we're like we're really limiting our time and energy for Evie now because these new babies come. It's really important to have open conversations about that and Annalise is phenomenal because she's very good at like what's the solution. I sit in the stress and I kind of go, you know, this is awful. I can't imagine loving anything as much as I do Evie and I'm being detrimental to her in the way that I'm making choices about my life. But I fall back to that kind of I'm constantly reflecting on it. I'm constantly watching how Evie is, you know, and I was late to a meeting the other day because she just insisted that she put my shoes on and I made that decision in the moment that I was like, I'm going to be late, you know, for heaps of reasons. But I was like, I'm going to stay with her in this because she's guiding me and showing me that she's struggling a bit. But there's heaps of other times where I'm like, I can't, I've just got to roll out. 
but I'm watching her and I'm not watching her in the moment and making huge big decisions about my career or anything. I'm watching how she's going over days and weeks and saying, am I providing the level of support that she needs and what are the things that are challenging it that are movable? Mm. So I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful. I think you're making good calls there, by the way, for what it's worth on a personal note. Like the start is incredibly, incredibly difficult mm. of a second kid and I know you know that because you're an expert in this area. No, I know. But, but the yeah, practical day-to-day once it starts, it's really difficult and it can be difficult for a while but I think you're making really good choices in there around like just taking that extra time. So that's good. Yeah. So Yeah, thanks, worth. mate. No, no, and you guide me a lot on this. Like as I've said in the past, I think you were one of the few people that was actually excited about, you know, mm. us having a kid and then us having a second kid and I have a lot of people that were around me that I know were also having a second kid and they were like, oh, God, how are you going to manage it? And I was just like, oh, man, that must be such a hard headspace to be in. It's like really stressing about it all and this is we've like this is what the podcast is trying to do we've lost a community that's around us because of how the world has changed the village and yeah yeah our village is the The goddamn village man (laughs) everyone talks about this village man yeah yeah. where is it where is it so yeah so we're trying to build it a bit but you know you you and the babysitter are our village we have no one else like i've got the village coming up i'm going away for a week with three other families. You are, And yeah. so hopefully the village gets on and there's not problems. Oh, they will. Some of our faves <laughs> in that crew. <laughs> we'll see. Number six, Billy. I think we're about halfway through the longs. Hi, Billy Nick. Thanks for the amazing last episode regarding siblings. Could not have come at a better time for my wife and I. Our second daughter was born in early January this year and our two-and-a-half-year-old at the time welcomed her with open arms and they had a really good relationship and still do. On the other hand, though, as our youngest has gotten older and personalities started to develop, we've found that our oldest has started regressing in certain ways. And we've noticed that it only happens around my wife and I and her little sister. When she's around us, she's far more emotional and explosive in her reactions and has started playing a game where she pretends to be the baby and acts like the youngest and does baby voice and baby behaviour like crawling and dummy sucking. She naturally kicked the dummy by herself when she was 10 months old. She has also, when she thinks no one is watching, been a little rough with her sister. We think she's trying to get a reaction or some attention from what, from us when she does this and we've really tried to drive home appropriate play levels with people of different, uh, like I, sorry, e.g. your sister is a baby, therefore we play like a baby. Daddy's a big boy, so we can play like big kids. Just wondering if you can shed some light on the regression aspect you spoke about in the episode and any methods for dealing with it. We're lost whether to play the game with her or trying to bring her back to her big girl status. Anyway, love the pod. Hope you both continue until our kids are (laughs) out at high school in 2040. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sure we will be. But, yeah, great question. I reckon I get asked. I see a kid in this situation every couple of weeks at a minimum. So really, right. really common. So what we talked about last time is that they're checking and seeing what that experience is like. They're watching another, you know, baby in their role and they go back to that role. So some kids will do it even when there isn't a younger baby. Like they will regress. Like well, it's not true regression but they will look like they're regressing back to that. The most important thing is does this matter? Is it impacting this child's functioning? That's the most important bit. And if you can go, no, they just feel safe. They're just exploring this. They're putting on a baby voice. They're pretending that they're a baby or whatever. They're just checking and seeing what happens when they go back into that space. And it's just really important that we just are interacting with them, responding with them and stuff. 
the risk of like, no, you're a big boy, go back to that, is that they don't feel validated in that exploration that they're having. So if it's like, oh, I've noticed that they do it around their peers as well, their peers are shunning them a little bit socially because they're acting silly or like a baby yep. or they're doing it with educators or whatever and it is impacting their learning or mm. interactions with other adults, then you can think about cool, how do I get them back to being like age appropriate in those situations? But if it's just an exploration that they're having in a safe interaction with a parent and especially if it's because there's another baby there in that role, just watch them and guide them and support them and understand they're just exploring that. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) I just get it a lot so that's why. Yeah, it sounds like like you get it a lot. Yeah. Super common. Yeah. Okay, cool. Doesn't probably make it any... Easier for the people, but like, well, it's hopefully nice it does a little bit. Does. Just yeah. in like, yeah, cool. It's, it's not some sinister thing. Exactly. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> get no, back okay. into my question mode. Uh, number seven. Hey guys, I've been loving the podcast since my husband introduced me to it. Thanks for the great work. We have an amazing fifteen-month-old daughter, and have always thought we would like to have two children. Given the topic has come up on the pod, I'm interested to know if you have an opinion on a good age gap that puts other that puts the older child in the best position to understand, adapt to a new addition to the family. I know this will vary from child to child, but is there a rough age where they would typically become more capable of progressing through Freud's four stages that you mentioned? Would love to hear your thoughts. Great question. So no, it's the, the actual ingredient in that is am I pitching this level of support that is developmentally appropriate for the older sibling? Bang. So yeah, because you can have a kid that's, you know, 14 years older, but if you just go, well, you're 14 years older, figure it out, like be, <laughs> be fine with it. Do you know what I mean? That kid might yeah. actually need the same level of support in the same way as a four-year-old. Yeah. So it's really about what's the developmental ability of this kid to, to, to navigate this setting and it's often not what you say. And what's that kid need? The older kid? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, what yeah, does yeah. the older kid need? The older kid might actually need you to come back, put more intensity into the relationship, just spend more time interacting yeah. with them. A 14-year-old kid might have seven close cousins yeah. who are all younger, so it might be kid, but I don't know. Yeah, totally. What are the gears? What are the moves? What are the needs of that individual child? So Different don't partner. worry. Don't put the pressure on yourself of like what's the perfect age gap yep. because there will be kids that are really close in age that are fine with this. And yep. there'll be somewhere there's a big age gap and they're really bright and really smart but they really struggle with it and those kids will just need tailored support around that. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Hey, guys. Love your up on siblings. Congratulations on your arrival, Billy. Thank you. I'm a mum of two gorgeous boys, age 18 and four years old, 18 months and four years old, and watching their sibling relationship develop has been one of my favourite parts of parenting so far. I also grew up in a Catholic family and I'm the sixth of seven siblings, so I can relate to your story, Nick, of bringing bread and lemonade to family <laughs> gatherings. The youngest sibling in our family, forevermore the bringer of chips and dip, <laughs> has had the unfortunate experience of having six extra parents in their life telling them what to do all the time. <sighs> you spoke about bonded sibling relationships being built on shared perspectives and seeing yourself in each other. Make me reflect on my own sibling relationships, which is something I really treasure. But I'm also struggling within recent years because of increasingly divergent perspectives. I really want my boys to have a bonded relationship. Can you give some specific examples of what I can do as a parent to help my boys develop a shared perspective? Also, what can I do to increase the chances that that will be maintained over their lifetime? Maybe slightly off topic. But do you have any tips on that for adult sibling relationships to feel free to throw those in the mix as well? Thanks again and please keep the eps coming. 
Great question. So, yeah, we talked about the example a bit earlier about, you know, shared pretend play and just how that's one of the richest, especially in early, you know, first six, seven years of life. But that continues even into adult life really. So those things like, you know, you and your brothers, I'm sure it's footy, you know, you go, you both have a real shared journey and interest in that and you get to interact, engage, converse about it, all that stuff. Yep. The funny thing is there is a really protective element of shared experiences and um, I've had some really harrowing experiences in clinic in the last week of siblings that have grown up in trauma that are protective. I met a gorgeous 14-year-old boy the other day who has a younger sibling, hardcore, awful trauma, developmental complex trauma. And I, he's coming down the corridor and I'm like, man, I, I know kid I've got this warmth about him but I never met him it was the first time I was seeing him as a patient and I realized because of a different um, surname I'd met his younger sibling mm. about a month before because they were more worried about the younger sibling mm. and I just had this like surreal experience of like sitting there this kid walks in like I, I can't go into details but awful awful thing that should never happen to kids growing up has happened to this kid he comes in and I'm like trying to be warm and ask how he's going and stuff and he genuinely asks how I'm going and like you can, it's pretty rare that a teenager comes in and kind of genuinely cares about me. Like they're usually coming into this ivory tower, intimidating place, you know, why am I seeing this doctor to talk about my feelings? And it took me a second but I remembered why I remembered him and it was because his younger brother was having a real dysregulated moment in the clinic and the thing that he did was he just got down now, the person who was meant to be doing this in the room wasn't. It's not to be critical. But this 14-year-old kid in the moment got down, soothed his young sibling, helped him tie his shoelace and calmed him. And I just like at the end of the consult, he told me like we talked about how we're going to help him and all that stuff. And he's like, thank you so much for your time. And I was like genuinely like I can't believe I had the privilege of meeting this kid. Mm. Now, the sibling relationship in that dynamic is protective of the trauma. It can't be the only one. But what it shows us is that what we need to do is tighten those bonds and reinforce the connection that they have, the intimacy, the safety that they have in those sibling relationships. And our kids, the sibling relationship should trump the relationship we have with them. Mm. So our role is to guide them through that genuine connection and it can be protective for adversity. So, yeah, that kid, I know this episode's been going for ages, but, yeah, that just came to me that this gorgeous kid, and I can't believe I had these like two weeks of just meeting these kids with hardcore adversity that are just breaking my heart but just like these kids are phenomenal and I've just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But anyway. Yeah, that's an incredible story. Yeah, he's just such a gorgeous kid. He's got an intellectual disability. He's got all this awful stuff in his background. But I've got to find something else to protect that kid that is in his sibling relationship because all the weight can't sit on that. But anyway, yeah, sorry for bringing it down a bit. But it just shows no, how, right. yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, uh, hi, Billy and Nick. I'm a developing mum of a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. Firstly, can I say the podcast has been such an amazing resource for me. <clears throat> I have laughed and cried listening to this podcast and it's been a joy to listen to you guys and also expand my movie trivia knowledge at the same time. This podcast has particularly been a great resource as we have been going through the assessment and subsequent diagnosis of ASD with my four-year-old son. At such a young age, my son and daughter seem to have bonded already, which is really beautiful to see. However, I'm mindful that there may be challenges in the future as they grow older and have different developmental trajectories. 
Any tips as to how we can continue to encourage and facilitate a positive relationship between siblings throughout different life stages where one is neurodiverse? Keep up the amazing work, boys. What an amazing parent that they're proactively thinking about this. Like I'm just trying to get through every day and they're like, everything's sweet now. How do I make sure it stays that way? So phenomenal. Like we talked about the vulnerability and neurodiversity is that we um, miss what the actual needs of that child are. So this parent doesn't have that vulnerability, but we need to make sure that we help educate everyone that's around that kid, that it will we will fall into the trap sometimes with these kids of going, I wouldn't struggle with that. How come you are? Mm. So they will have a different set of needs to what we might expect and making sure we meet those needs, not what society or whatever deems they are, and making sure that we utilise the strength of both of those children in the way that they bond and interact with each other that has the overlap that we talk about in kind of how do we have that shared experiences and help kids see themselves in each other. Mm. So it's really important that you find those specific things. You both really love, you know, I'm just riffing on this, you both really love making muffins. They genuinely do. I'm not going to force you into that interaction but I'm going to give you an opportunity to collaborate, problem solve, you know, succeed together in making this and doing it and part of it and that is a sanctuary that exists within this relationship and you keep giving opportunities like that and seeing and watching them, he's nailing this, she's nailing this, this is a positive experience of both of them and there's this beautiful interaction and intimacy that's occurring through it. Mm. It's such a good reminder that, that those little things, I'll be honest, I circum, like I, I cut that stuff out like yesterday. I could have done that with the girls and I didn't because I was short on time but I actually realised how important it was. It was a really small thing. Yeah, but it's that's fine. This is not 100% of the time stuff. If anyone's yeah. listening to this going, I need to do this all the time, this is, these are just the moves that you pull when you can to reinforce the bonds and ex- enjoy the experience we have of parenting and give them the best chance at landing well. Okay, good to know. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for the podcast. Absolutely loving it as a parent and early childhood teacher that is also currently studying to become an OT, occupational therapist. I have no. Sorry, I should have put that in. No, I'm just saying I don't know a lot of these terms and I love them but I don't know a lot of them. My question about siblings is I have a six-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy, my two eldest They can get on so well at times, but they also fight too. It usually goes something like this. My six-year-old will continually antagonise the eight-year-old by doing something purposefully that annoys him. She finds it funny to get under his skin and get a reaction. He's pretty good and walks away for, for some of it and will ask her to stop. My husband and I will speak to her and tell her it's upsetting him and he's becoming frustrated. She will keep going, sometimes without us knowing, and he will eventually become so frustrated he lashes out. This will usually mean he gets physical and she has a huge reaction. It almost always ends in tears from both. We then have a good conversation once everyone is calm and how everyone was feeling in the moment. I don't ever want my son to solve anything with violence and that's always reiterated. I don't ever want my daughter to feel as though she deserved it because she annoyed him so much. However, I can see how much he's asked her to stop beforehand and how frustrating that would be for him. I always find it so tricky to deal with. And this is a regular occurrence in our household. Thanks. Yeah, so these parents are both working really hard on, you know, validating that experience that they're having but trying to find what is the better solution than lashing out or feeling like you deserved it. And that is a great acknowledgement of the risk for... Their son is that he solves it by this and finally gets his sister to stop annoying him by doing that or the sister feels like, you know, that's the consequence because she didn't navigate it well. 
The trick is like if you've been doing this for a long time and that's your strategy, we pull her aside and say you're annoying him and it's not getting better, then that's not the move. You know, what we want to try and do is go in early and guide them towards expected behaviours of how they interact with each other. See, he's showing you this. Now I know you can be good at picking this up. He said that. Like so what can we do instead? What's the way? What's your need? Your need is you want attention and you're bored. Cool, this is a better way of getting that need met and validating that experience that you're having of boredom or frustration or jealousy or whatever. And you can do that with two kids at the same time. It's just hard. But what you want to do is go in and be like, what's the level of support? How specific do I need to be in the guidance and how do I do it? And Mm. remember going right back to our first episode, sometimes they've got to come out of that space. Sometimes but you go out with them. It's not a punitive approach. Yeah, pull her out and be like, hey, we can do better than this. What does success look for us? We've spoken about this. We know the plan. I'm going to guide you towards it. I'm going to, yeah, like all the same stuff we've already spoken about. But if you're finding that you've been doing this for weeks and it's not getting better, then that's not the answer. Yeah. You know, find a, just find a different thing. Sit down. Time when you've got the, you know, the space and the energy in it to whatever, talk about it with your other partner and go, hey, they still seem to be battling each other all the time. What do you reckon is a different way? Can we bring them in on the conversation? Let's be really clear about what we're trying to achieve, really specific in what it looks like, and then let's check it and run it for a couple of weeks and see how we go. Nice. I like it. Hey, guys. Firstly, I want to say congratulations on the new arrival, Billy. This is such a beautiful, crazy, wild, no routine chicken nuggets for dinner season. (laughs) (laughs) What an incredible episode about siblings. I've been holding out for this one. Without going into too much detail, my husband was compared, pitted against even now, to his own sibling. With this past experience, it has been an interesting road to journey together now that we have multiple kids ourselves. I have to admit it has been a challenge to go from one child to three kids in one blow. Yay for unexpected twins, let's politely say. My husband has been... Has, my husband has had a procedure, so no more kiddos. Navigating raising multiple kids while also trying to not pass on childhood trauma has been a huge learning curve for us as a couple. I've personally found it difficult to be respectful of my husband's trauma while also fostering a loving partnership and also trying to kindly tweak his parenting style to ensure we do not prioritise or compare the kids. Biggest challenge we are trying to navigate together is when the two-year-old twins gang up on the eldest, who is five years old. Our eldest is our orchid, and the twins are both dandelions. You can probably imagine the beautifully wild chaos that ensues. In a nutshell, Miss Five-year-old wants to play more complex games with her sisters. The twins do not understand the rules and mess her up, mess her game up. Miss Five gets upset and runs to her room and cries. We're generally left with three upset children and have to prioritise emotions and consequently safety. We know Miss Five is safe in her room, but the twins end up hitting, biting, throwing toys at each other in frustration. We generally take a twin each and speak to them about how they're feeling, appropriate behaviour, apologise to one another, cuddles. By the time we've managed the twins, Miss Five has calmed down and come back to playing. My husband does not see this as an issue, but I feel like it is prioritising the twins' emotional needs over Miss Five. My questions are, what are some tips for parenting multiple kids as a couple with pre-existing individualistic trauma that can, at times, be reflected in parenting practice? What are some ways we can manage multiple kids' meltdowns at the same time? Is prioritising the way? 
you guys do an incredible job. Have a wonderful week. And that yeah. parent does an incredible job. Yeah, exactly. That phenomenal. So just, just to juggling. be – what a phenomenal partner to be cognizant and respectful and trying to help out with the partners, the childhood trauma they've experienced. So, yeah, one thing we should – like this is not a criticism of that person's parents, but we know now that comparing siblings um, can really challenge not only their relationship but the identity of both of the siblings, not just the sibling that feels like they're below the other one, but you can falsely elevate and give um, incorrect signalling about, you know, self-esteem and what builds your identity to the kid that you're praising through that comparison as well and we shouldn't have validation through that. Yeah, the hardest thing is that like try, yeah, this person is obviously being really gentle of Tristan and those things but, you know, how can we think about what um, what level of support they need outside of those interactions and how are we kind of reinforcing and dealing with that and approaching it and it's great that this episode has helped with that but, you know, there's so much complexity and we should do a future episode on trauma-informed practice and what do we know about how to support people through that but being kind and gentle, reflective and responsive is really important. With the multiple kids, that is the hardest plate spin that we will have is like there's especially with three when their needs are being met and there's only two of us and how do we, you know, best distribute the resources that we've got. I think it's totally fine to be like we take the twins because physically we need to but just being conscious of that little five-year-old and how she's going because there is a chance that she's needing more support than she's currently getting. So how can you sometimes go, you know what, like one of us is just going to have to somehow juggle the two twins and one of us is going to go in and just be with the little five-year-old girl and check how she's going. But she will show you. She will show you whether she's coping with that or not. But just, you know, sometimes that's that equity bit, trying not to be like, well, we need the twins so we've always got to just deprioritise, you know, the the older kid. So sometimes we need to go in on that older kid sometimes and kind of provide that level of support. Okay, cool. We've got a couple of questions to go here, Billy. <clears throat> Hi, Billy Nick. Thanks for a great podcast. It's been helping me in so many ways. My situation is kind of complicated but I would really love some advice. I'm a solo mum and have two beautiful boys by IVF using the same donor. My oldest is an amazing sensitive boy who's just turned six and my second is just eight months old but a very happy, easygoing baby. So my oldest has been adjusting to not being the only child and he loves being a big brother. But devastatingly, my sister died a couple of months ago and now I am the only guardian for my seven-year-old niece. Thank you for your podcast on Kids with Grief. It has been good to listen to and help think about how to best help the kids during a really difficult time. Luckily, we've lived together since my niece was born, so my niece and oldest son have always lived together and had a sibling-like relationship, but until now have always had their own mums to go to for special attention and care. My sister and I were kind of like each other's co-parent, supported each other and our kids. But now my son, who's just adjusted to having a new baby brother, is now having an, a readjustment to time being further divided and my niece is obviously dealing with her own trauma of losing her mother and trying to figure out where she fits in the world. I truly believe that their relationship is going to be the best protection for each other in the future. They are both loving towards each other. Both of their teachers spoke about how important they are to each other in their schoolyard. But they also fight lots and there is constant complaint about things being unfair. I know it's still early days, but in listening to your podcast, I, I could only think that I do worry that they are starting to move into competitive relationship. Often they are competitive for my time and attention. They also still love to play together lots at home, mostly soccer at the moment, as they have been inspired by the Women's World Cup. 
which is lovely, but also obviously a competitive type of play. They have also very different temperaments. My oldest son is an orchid and my niece is a dandelion. She loves structure and rules and can play and can be explosive with her emotions. Sorry, he loves structure and rules and can be explosive with his emotions. Apologies. She loves people and being creative, but can sometimes feel the need to put on a show of being happy. I guess I'm looking for advice on how I can best give them the greatest chance of building a healthy bond and avoid the fighting becoming too toxic. I do try and make sure I spend time with each of them, but with an eight-month-old to consider as well, it can be hard. They both love the baby and can be incredibly sweet with him, but they also both have expressed frustration at times. I'm close with all my siblings. I'm the eldest of six, so I just want to make sure I give the kids the greatest opportunity to build these bonds and I really think it will be protective against their vulnerabilities in the future. I feel this early stage we are setting up new ways of interacting without my sister and would just love some guidance on how to best assist them in building these bonds and having a healthy relationship into the future. Thanks again for all you do. Yeah, so we'll, we'll end on that one because, yeah, this is this deserves time and we're going so long. But that was such a beautiful, um, a beautiful question that's come in that just shows a phenomenal individual that is holding so much and doing such a, an amazing job of guiding one child who has experienced uh, significant developmental trauma and the loss of a primary caregiver. And also being able to be aware of that but also aware of her son and the experience he's having and the mm-hmm. challenges in that. And there is a huge fragility in that but the biggest protective factor actually in this situation is is this primary caregiver mm. because they're watching these three kids, you know. And so what we've talked about already is really important with this situation, validate that frustration that they're both feeling towards the new child, validate the experiences they're having with conflict, you know, try and make sure that this uh, girl feels that she is unconditionally a part of this family and we show this. I can tell this mum will be showing and saying if, but think about how do I just make sure that this child constantly feels like there is no vulnerability in the consistency and future of this relationship in this family. Also with these two kids, yes, as we've talked about with that boy I saw in clinic, there is the same protective possibility in this relationship between these two kids as almost being like siblings. And as we talked about in the first episode, you don't have to be biologically related to have a sibling-like kin relationship with someone. And once again, lean in on the, instead of the competitiveness, lean in on the the aspects and ingredients we know exist for bonding relationships. Mm -hmm. So how do they have things that are protected time together that is shared enjoyment with each other? How do you reinforce that? How do you resource towards that? How do you kind of bring out the best of them where the overlap is? You know, what does that look like? Trying as well to lean into the village. So having school, I do a lot of work with schools about this. I don't know where this family lives, but the school should also be really conscious of how much resource they need to put into supporting this dynamic and the relationship, but also the individuality of the two kids. You know, this niece in particular needs to have a really strong, secure identity in multiple communities, not just the home, but in school as well, where 
there is a good sense of I'm valued within this community, whether it's like a dance team or a sporting club or whatever. And you can bring the sun in, but it's also important that there are elements of both of them, that worlds exist outside of that dynamic, just like for all siblings. We can't be on top of each other all the time, just like we have to have sanctuaries with individual relationships with our kids, you with Freddie, you with Ronnie, that has nothing to do with the other one. They also need to have worlds and communities where the other one doesn't always exist as well. And this niece is vulnerable to that but also the son. So it's a beautiful thing and the reason I wanted to end on it is because it's a really powerful piece of how much we need to be a community around all kids but especially kids that have experienced this fracturing of trauma. Like that's this this girl is going to be fine because of this woman but this, this parent, this caregiver, she needs more support. Sounds like she does with her own siblings but how does the entire community come around and realise that this kid needs support and... Yeah, going back to the grief stuff is, you know, that episode, I feel like I've tried really hard to give specific guidance around that so I won't readdress that now. Mm. But, yeah, what an amazing – and having the time to send that in is just really powerful as well. Yeah, so deliberate mm. in trying to support. That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, really amazing. Um, all right, Billy. Well, that brings us to conclusion of episode 67. Billy, very poor at getting these out quickly. Um, <laughs> That's all right. No, no, I think um, and we'll probably discuss it at the top of the episode yeah. um, <clears throat> what this is all about and making sure people have their opportunity to ask their longer form questions as well as the short ones. We love it. Otherwise, we wouldn't ask for those longer questions or shorter ones. So it's awesome that people send them through. And obviously we're trying to give it to people in a really um, digestible manner. Um, so I think you do a tremendous job of firing through. I think it was over 50 questions today, both long and short. <laughs> Huge. So well done. <laughs> um, but we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Don't know what it is. Oh, we're going to do it. No. Yeah. It's a big one. Big it's a, one. It's a big one. We did a bit of soapboxing this one, but there'll be lots of soapboxing <gasps> the next. I can't wait for the rewatch. Like I, like I said, yeah, I think I watch every couple of years. Yeah, But really? I, Yeah. Oh, it's actually, to be fair, it probably has been five years, but I think I saw it. Probably twice in cinema at a minimum. Um, yeah. Mm. I've only ever seen one film three times in cinema, Billy, but I might reveal that at a later stage. <laughs> oh, wow. Beautiful. Well, no, thanks, Nick. That was great. Thanks for um, journeying with us through it. Yeah, thanks, Billy. Thanks, everyone. Speak to you next week. Hey, let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. What does it do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you.